coronavirus, the risk, the response, and the ramifications. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You sound like you're doing not that well. I'm minorly hoarse, but I'm feeling pretty good. So hopefully just a little bit of a voice uh, loss, but doing fine. Um, I think our listeners would appreciate more of a voice loss on your on your. Well, That's the you know, gotten, I know you're trying to uh, bump me off the air for a solo hour, but uh, no luck so far, sir. Um, so obviously, as you just uh, alluded to, we're going to spend the bulk of the show today on, you know, really other than the presidential race, you know, what people are really focused on and talking about, which is the coronavirus, um, the spread in the United States and in New York, and what's being done to combat it, to monitor it, uh, what people should know. And really, you know, we're trying to focus, of course, on where we're headed here. Um, and we're going to be joined by two esteemed guest to help us break that all down. Uh, we've been following the governor and the mayor giving lots of updates to the public. I think they're doing a pretty good job of keeping people updated, maybe a little bit too much. Um, I don't know that we need three different briefings per day from each of them um, to update us on the latest case, uh, cases. But, you know, I, I think a lot of information is good and they're obviously trying to make sure to keep people aware of what to do and not do and how to get checked and, and all that type of stuff. As we move now into discussing this virus that has upended the political discussion, the economic outlook, basically everything else in our city over a, a relatively short number of days. Right. And at the very heart of it, obviously, it's a public health issue um, that, you know, has really erupted fairly quickly um, ever since, you know, the first cases were confirmed in the United States, I believe, in late January um, and things moving Moving fairly quickly here, you know, because um, it seems to have originated in China, we have seen, um, I think, you know, most of the initial uh, explosion of it in, in, in the United States on the West Coast. But now we're looking at, um, you know, New York City, of course, as the hub that it is having uh, lots of travel, lots of travelers. Um, there's lots of questions, which I think one of our guests will get into around airport workers, um, you know, because it's such a travel hub. Um, so there's there's really many, many facets to this. One of the most important ones, of course, is the federal response. And there's a lot of questions about how the Trump administration has treated this, whether they've made it more of a political concern than it should have been and how they're approaching it with funding, with messaging, um, et cetera. And then closer to home, there's, of course, the state response, the city response. When anything like this comes around, we want to see Governor Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio on the same page. They held their first joint press conference in over a year on this, which showed something. Um, and so monitoring very closely how the state and the city are ramping up their ability to test people, to uh, quarantine people and and help get the word out about what to do and how. And obviously part of the response, too, is individual New Yorkers and, you know, whether they follow the instructions to like wash their hands and sneeze into their elbow, uh, whether they um, shun businesses um, totally illogically because of the ethnic group that runs them and some perceived uh, dangers there. There have been cases of outright discrimination and uh, and bias against folks who appear to be sick and uh, are are of uh, Asian ancestry. Um, whether, you know, people panic, uh, based on the, you know, as you said, steady 
supply of news, um, which can be reassuring to know that people are like in charge. Um, but also it has the effect of kind of ramping up the sense of alarm when there is a bulletin every couple hours. You know, for instance, we have just moved this today from knowing about, I believe, two cases in New York State to having 11, 11 confirmed yeah. cases, mm-hmm. which is a percentage based massive well, increase, but it's still 11 cases in a state of 18 million people. So it's hard, I think, for anyone, especially in today's media environment, to appropriately moderate between reacting um, appropriately to this threat and overreacting and kind of buying into a, a panic, which frankly could be more damaging than the illness itself. I have to tell you, I, you know, I do also, and I, we're going to bring our guests on momentarily who are, are far more expert than us, but, you know, I also do worry a little bit about underreacting because, you know, I hear all, uh, both the governor and the mayor trying to be reassuring. They want people to go about their daily lives, but this is moving very quickly and we don't no, we, there's a lot we don't know. And, um, you know, it's very tricky to see at the same time government officials say there's a lot we don't know. But based on what we do know, here's how to behave. And then those, you know, circumstances can be very fluid. So it is a very tricky balance to strike. Um, one of the things I'll say to listeners is, um, you know, to if you have questions about this, you can call the city's 311 line. Um, that's something the mayor urged people to do. I followed up with City Hall about this. I said, what are the protocols of 311? And they sent me over the things that the 311 dispatchers have been given. Uh, you know, they have a whole protocol they're supposed to go through when people call about the coronavirus. So hopefully that's being followed. I haven't tested it out yet because I don't want to tie up any lines that people actually need. But, um, you know, there, there's a protocol that the, that the folks who answer the lines over at 311 are supposed to go through to guide people about whether they actually need to contact a health provider. They connect them with city health services if needed. Um, you know, and, and city health officials stress that in some ways, what we know right now is that the, this coronavirus, uh, operates like the flu. And that's one way for people to think about it. And in some ways, um, even though there are some differences, it, it also – the governor has been stressing this especially. People can self-resolve like they do very often with the flu unless you have some other serious underlying health issues. Right. Most people will self-resolve. But that's one yeah. of the things we should get into with our guests. Let's so I welcome it. them now. On the line are Dr. Robin Gershon of the School of Global Public Health at New York University. Uh, she is an occupational and environmental health researcher with experience in disaster preparedness, healthcare safety and risk assessment and management in high risk work occupations. Doctor, welcome to Max and Murphy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Also on the line is Council Member Mark Levine. He's a Democrat representing Manhattan Valley, Manhattanville, Morningside Heights, and Hamilton Heights in the Council, and he's the chair of the Council's Committee on Health. Welcome, Council Member Levine. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be on. And we'll mention that uh, the council member is going to be co-chairing tomorrow a hearing at City Hall on the city's response and preparedness for coronavirus, along with Hospitals Committee Chair Carlina Rivera. So that will be uh, a news item to follow tomorrow. Dr. Gershon, let's start with you. Um, Talk about where this came from. A coronavirus is a type of virus. This is the novel 2019 version. Can you tell us a little bit about why we believe it has emerged um, in late 2019 and how it became uh, a new threat to us? 
Well, it's interesting. I just saw a very uh, kind of unique graph of the cases as they've been unfolding. And from the distribution on that graph, it looks like it was a point source, which means it may have been one index case, one, uh, as we call it, the R naught, the the original case, and it seems pretty clear at this point that it is from bats. So at some point, it jumped from bats to humans, and from there on, of course, it spread. And uh, we shouldn't be too alarmed. Zoonotic diseases are not that uncommon, and typically, when they do transfer at first, they are a little bit more hazardous than our other everyday kind of pathogens. But it's uh, it's to be expected. I mean, people are more and more uh, in close contact with wildlife. Uh, In this particular place, it seems to be the marketplace, but uh, it seems to be that point spread. And there have been a lot of kind of conflicting reports about just how contagious is it, um, how risky is it in terms of the, the death rate as we know it. Obviously, it's a relatively new virus, so that data is still coming in. But and, and how that compares to something like influenza. What do you think is the latest information on that, on contagiousness and, uh, and the threat? It seems to be holding at 2.3%, which is about 20 times greater than the average influenza, but it's so much less than SARS, which was 10%, or MERS, which was 34%. So it's still quite low. The problem is that it may be that we have a lot of cases. So even though the uh, fatality rate is low, if you have a lot of cases, you will have a lot of deaths. And uh, that's that's our concern, and certainly because certain groups of people are at greater risk, such as the elderly. Right now, it seems to just be elderly and those people with chronic underlying diseases. Councilmember Levine, let's bring you in here. When you are participating in and reacting to the governmental response here, what's top of mind for you right now? Well, I want New Yorkers to know that we have a world-class public health system. We have particularly in the area of infectious disease control, some of the top leaders globally. And this team and and all the relevant agencies in the city have been prepping for this for weeks. Um, New Yorkers should take comfort in that. We've had a good partnership with the state. Uh, We do rely on the federal government in cases of, of national and international health crises. And there, uh, I think the performance has been, has been uneven. We can talk more about that. It took us, took the, the CDC inexcusably long to give New York City capacity to test locally for coronavirus. We have now had that up and running in our city's public health lab for three days. That gives us control over decisions on who should be tested, and it makes sure that we're not stuck in the national queue behind other states uh, who are waiting for access to federal resources. Uh, but this is still cause for concern, not panic, but concern. And there's a lot that regular New Yorkers need to be doing to help ensure that we avoid the worst possible outcomes here. And I know we'll be talking about that. And when you prepare for um, this hearing you're going to have tomorrow, are there specific um, questions that you're thinking about that you want to know from the de Blasio administration, um, private and public hospitals? Um, are there certain concerns you have about, um, you know, the availability of, of treatment, of testing, uh, the capacity of the city to ramp up on both of those fronts? Um, are there specific things that you know right now you're looking for answers on? 
This hearing is going to feature quite an array of agencies. It's led by the Department of Health, of course, but we'll have the public hospitals there. We'll have representatives from the Department of Education, from the Office of Emergency Management, the Department for the Aging. Um, we are going to be ready to take a citywide view at our preparedness. Uh, we want New Yorkers to understand what has been done to prepare for this moment. What are the resources available to the extent there are challenges? We really want to highlight that. But um, I, because I have confidence in how ready we are, I think that this hearing will mostly be reassuring to the public. Hmm. Um, there, there are a lot of myths out there uh, about this disease, uh, which Dr. Gershon could perhaps uh, help us navigate, but we want to dispel some of those myths. Everything from the utility of masks to... Um, whether or not hand sanitizer is important uh, to real questions about how this disease is transmitted. Um, there is hysteria. You see it on social media. And there are good questions that need to be asked. And we plan on making tomorrow um, a really special opportunity to hear from the experts, to get the facts out, to dispel the myths. And we hope and believe to reassure New Yorkers that our city is prepared. Dr. Gershon, talk for us about the response by institutions, organizations, governments, in terms of how much life in the city should change based on the risk as we know it now. Um, there are organizations that have canceled conferences. I know there are churches in the city if, where Catholics are not exchanging the sign of peace. Um, there is a petition circulating that Ben and I saw earlier today by New York City high school students uh, demanding that schools be closed because of the virus threat. One suspects there may have been some ulterior motives there, although perhaps also some genuine ones. But, but right now, how much should people be thinking about changing how they congregate with other people? Sure, but first I would like to underscore what the councilman said. I think it was so so smart because I believe, and, and councilman, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that the New York City Department of Health is the leading Department of Health in this country, perhaps even in the world. They are really top, top-notch, huge, with deep wells of expertise. And I just took a look at the latest Stay Healthy alert from New York City that the mayor put out, and I thought it was really good. And I agree, we should be prudent now, but we should not be panicked. And in the workplaces now, you see, they have to juggle a lot of different priorities. For instance, now that NYU has no more foreign travel for 60 days for all faculty and staff, anything related to work, it's, it's all been canceled. Uh, but I just heard that Langone, which is a huge and very important medical center here in the city, they are canceling even local travel national travel for their faculty and staff. So they're taking a very, uh, I guess you'd say, proactive approach. They're concerned that people will come back and bring it back into these workplaces and therefore potentially spread it to others. And they have big, big organizations to run, and they cannot afford to have multiple doctors and nurses and, and physical therapists and respiratory therapists. They can't afford to have them out. So they're being very cautious. And I think right now it's prudent since we don't have a lot of testing yet. I believe that we're testing about 1,000 people a day right now. Thank goodness the DOH has that capacity. But we need to be testing many, many more. 
Do we? Once we have those numbers, then uh, things may get a little clearer, especially about closing of schools. Do we know enough about how this spreads? I mean, that's that's one of the things that you know I'm I, I keep wondering about as I'm watching the briefings from our elected officials and health officials is um, you know whether whether we really know enough to make clear judgments about. Uh, things like schools and and public transportation and such? Well, we definitely know when you're in close contact because of this unfortunate Westchester case. So we know it's the father, the wife, the daughter, the son, and the neighbor that drove him to the hospital. So we know that much. It seems to be close contact, and maybe it's got to be for a few hours at least. But the problem I have, and I wish CDC would step up on this, is does it live on inanimate surfaces? And if so, for how long? How much cleaning is really required? Can it be spread from other ways? For instance, SARS was spread by feces and blood. We don't know if that's the case here. So so we need this kind of testing done, but, but we don't have that capacity here. It has to be done at a, a federal institution. And those are the studies that I think if we had more information from those, we could our fears could be allayed, right? This whole fear about the subway and what about, you know, going in these car surfaces, what about elevator buttons, keyboards? We need that kind of info to tell us just how easy it's to spread. Certainly if you're within six feet of somebody actively coughing, sneezing, droplets are coming out of them then there's certainly that risk. But right now, we only have 11 cases that we know of in New York City, right? So yeah. how likely is that? I think it's 11 in, in the state, even, uh, because it's state. Westchester. Yeah, it's mostly Westchester. State, including yeah. Westchester, right. right. Uh, you're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. We're discussing the coronavirus and the risk and response here in New York City with Dr. Robin Gershon of the School of Global Public Health at NYU and Mark Levine, a Democratic City Council member from Manhattan who also chairs the Council's Health Committee. Council Member Levine, talk about the information flow from the city and state. Um, are people... Obviously, there have been many, many briefings. Do you feel as though that's penetrating? Are people getting the information? Are they getting too much information? Are we um, risking uh, panic, uh, irrational responses by virtue just of how often public officials are coming out to talk about this? What do you think about the balance being struck by the mayor and by the governor? Uh, sure. I, I just want to clarify one thing. Um, the, the city now has capacity, I believe, for as many as several hundred tests a day, but far fewer than that have been conducted. Uh, only three days that were up and running. Um, mm -hmm. I'm somewhat surprised that there have not been more tests conducted. I expect that number will increase, but we have been following a pretty strict protocol, which is that tests are offered to people who have symptoms and recently traveled to one of the high-risk countries, people who had close, emphasizing the word close, contact with someone who has uh, confirmed to have the virus, and people who are highly symptomatic with no other explanation. And uh, there, there appears to be momentum to broaden the circle uh, based on, on new federal guidance um, to potentially include anyone who's symptomatic uh, regardless of how serious it is and regardless of their uh, travel or contact history. Um, but ultimately, uh, we do have finite testing resources and medical care needs to go to those who are most at risk. And so 
Yorkers do need to understand that there has to be some screen on who can be tested. And the protocol now is that if you're not feeling well, you call your medical provider, you call your doctor. And uh, before you go in, by the way, that's, a, that's a, a distinction. You don't show up in a clinic or emergency room without a mask, without alerting staff that you're arriving. Uh, you make that call, and they'll direct you on next steps. And your doctor will decide whether you meet the criteria, and your doctor would then call the Department of Health has a 24-7 provider health line that, um, that's staffed by, by experts, and then the doctor makes the, the decision with, with the helpline. So that's, I'm giving a lot of detail there only because um, this has been one of the biggest areas of, I think, confusion and frustration um, to understand the protocols uh, for testing. Um, we should, by the way, uh, prepare that as we widen the circle of testing, we're probably going to uncover more cases. And uh, we should prepare now for that expectation. Um, as for as for the sharing of information, I, I think that the, the health officials have, and, and the executives at the city and state level, the mayor and the governor have, have been communicating uh, regularly and clearly. Uh, to the extent that's penetrating in the public, I don't know. I think that people tend to turn to their friends on Facebook probably more than they turn to uh, experts and public officials, and that's a problem. Um, Have you seen any type of uptick in calls to your district office, for example, looking over, for information? Over, overwhelming. Yes. Overwhelming. Okay. Calls, emails, and social media incoming. Mm-hmm. And, and that's good because then we can field questions and we can answer based on, on science and based on what the health department tells us. Um, I'd much rather people clog our channels than... Uh, than, than uh, fail to ask a pressing question. Um, but, you know, misinformation is a major threat in a public health crisis. And so it, it's important that people turn to trustworthy sources. Um, and I, I, I think that the city and the state have lived up to that standard. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be ever more important that people tune in for the facts Um I, I want to emphasize that this question of social distancing is the blanket term for telling people to avoid everything from public events to mass transit to school is one that the city health department is contemplating every minute of every hour. And they need to make the right call on when they should change their advice to New Yorkers. And they haven't done that yet because the experts don't believe it's justified. And that's 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 the guidance we have to follow. There's no reason to avoid a restaurant in Chinatown. And there's no reason to avoid attending your house of worship. Um, thankfully, school attendance rates have been uh, virtually unchanged from um, normal for this time of year. Um, so it seems like parents are, are reacting in a sober way. I want to but, ask uh, Dr. Dr. Gershon about that actually, because that that is a that frames a great question, which is as you mentioned, Councilmember, more people will be tested, so there will be more cases, and obviously our understanding of this virus is evolving uh, by the minute, and uh, city health and and education officials have decisions to make. Uh, Dr. Gershon, how will we determine whether more strict stricter or uh, more aggressive measures? are necessary is that 
do you think that that is governed by the sheer number of cases or is it about an evolving understanding of how the virus operates things like you know whether it can survive on a countertop or perhaps whether you know if you're 2 meters away you're just as at, at much risk as if you're 1 meter away what do you think scientifically governs those kind of decisions that's a that's a great question, the million-dollar question, and I think it is a combination of the two. Uh, I was under the impression that we would have capacity at least for a 1,000 screenings a day, and the councilman, it seems that it's, it's going to be far fewer than that. No, uh, ca- ca- I mean, capacity, yes, but they're not conducting more than okay, they so conducted about a 1,000 yesterday. And they have enough of the kits and staff to do that great. Well... For me, personally, the magic number in my head right now is if we had 100 cases, because we know that about 2.2 cases result from each case. So I'm thinking in my mind's eye, and this is just totally myself as a person, that if we had 100 cases, that means we probably have about 220 cases, and those 220 cases can then spread it to 2.2 people. So very quickly, you can see where the math gets uh, gets a little disturbing. At that point, I might switch to telecommuting personally, and I might really try and avoid going out as much as I could to large crowds. I'll still go to the grocery. I'll still uh, get on the subway, but I might not be here in a tighter space with more people, although right now it seems that more and more of the, the faculty here are telecommuting, so they're, they're really not here. Um, but for me, that seems like a magic number, and I, I don't know why, and it could be a 1,000, but it's not there yet. It's nowhere near there yet for me, and I'm taking the subway every day, several times a day, and I am really, you know, using, for me, I'm using the hand gel, doing a lot of extra hand washing in between, but I'm not really taking any other precautions. I'm certainly not wearing a face mask, but um, I'd be curious to know what the councilman's magic number would be. Well, well, Doctor, I don't think there is a modest number to the extent that um, we can follow the guidance of the health department. It depends yeah. on the severity of cases, Absolutely. among other questions. And so there is a little bit of a judgment call here. And we have to trust people who spend their lives working on this. So, um, so where does yeah, this, where, where does, I mean, where does some of this head? Uh, obviously, um, everybody's expecting that there be more cases. There, there have been more cases now as the day has gone on. More cases announced. More testing happening. Um, you know, we have to sort of safely assume that more testing is going to lead to more cases. Um, is this a matter of uh, this virus running its course with potentially? other guidelines coming from health professionals about more telecommuting and about less, you know, congregating? Uh, does it, is there a chance it sort of runs its course in New York without any real major adjustments? Do we need some sort of vaccine to be developed? Um, that seems like it's a long way off. How does this resolve itself? Do we, do we have any uh, real guideposts on that given we're still learning about the virus itself? Well, that's why I, I really love the idea of testing because 80% of the cases are very mild. So if we tested, say, a few people who really have symptoms and clearly have disease, but all the people around them, for the most part, all the people in a more uh, non-household kind of environment are all negative or are, are, are positive, but negative for disease, 
then we'll know that, okay, we're going to have transmission in this community. It's going to be just like a general flu, but they're not going to be terribly ill. So we can go about our business as usual. But if we start testing and it turns out those people get very sick in a day or two, that might change our, you know, the whole equation here. But from what we know of this virus, about 80% of the people will have a very mild case. It may be just like a seasonal flu. The problem is that we have a lot of people in the city, in every other city, with chronic disease, elderly people, multiple comorbidities, and we have to be concerned about them until the time we have medications or a vaccine or both. That's right. I mean, it, it, that's a very good point. People have discussed this disease and that m- most people can self-recover, self-treat and yeah. self-recover. Yeah. But when you're talking about New York City, the, the number of people who fall under one of those categories, they have very high blood pressure or they're immunocompromised or they're elderly or have some other risk factor is a, a fairly sizable population. Yes, it's like the issue with the measles, right? Of course, there are some cases that get very sick, but the real threat is to the children that can never get the vaccine because they're immunocompromised or have something else. So we want to have that herd immunity. So perhaps this will run its cost through New York. We'll have a lot of healthy people who get a very mild case. By the time it spreads a little further, hopefully we'll have some medications. I know they're working on them already. Uh, And then hopefully within a year or two, a year and a half to two, we'll have a vaccine. And by then, you know, things will all calm down. And for now, we just be prudent, yet not panicked. Councilmember Levine, um, if you could speak a little bit more about your thoughts on schools. Uh, We've seen a, a far worse outbreak in Italy but Italy just nationwide closed its schools for at least a week. Um, are, is there any way in which you're thinking about, um, you know, approach to schools? Uh, the school's chancellor, Richard Carranza, said at a briefing with the mayor today that they are developing contingency plans around closing schools. They consider that, of course, a last resort. Um, but how are you thinking about that? Well, it's important to point out that this is not a disease which affects many children. It is, as, as the doctor mentioned, it's overwhelmingly afflicting people who are older. And um, the, there are some scientific explanations for that uh, that we can get into. But um, there are other diseases which tend, tend to afflict children disproportionately. And in this case, um, that's not the profile. And that should reassure parents. Um, it's probably true that faculty and staff are more at risk in the school system than the children. Um, but, you know, there's a cost to closing schools. For some children, that's the only way they can get a good meal every day from preschool lunch and breakfast. Um, you disrupt child care for potentially hundreds of thousands of families, um, including for people like medical workers and couldn't go to the hospital to do their work because they have to stay home and attend to their children who are not in school. Um, so this is not a decision that can or should be made lightly, and the uh, assessment of the experts as of now is that it's not warranted, uh, despite what uh, the high school petitioners are, are calling for. <laughs> right, um, right. But that, that's, the, that's being reevaluated on, on a constant hour-by-hour basis. People should have, this is not being taken lightly, it's being uh, monitored round the clock. Um, and the school system is prepared if we have to move to a new stage. Uh, 
And actually, that will be a core topic of, of our questioning tomorrow. Um, because I mentioned, as I mentioned, the Department of Education will be there. And so uh, that will be a chance for us to talk about the what-if scenarios, but we haven't gotten there yet, thankfully. Councilmember Talk, we only have a few minutes left, but I want to pull the camera back a bit. We've been discussing this as a public health issue, which is what it primarily is. But obviously, there is already some economic impact, and there's the potential for more. Uh, Dr. Gershon says some of her colleagues have already begun telecommuting. That means folks are not buying lunch at the local cart. And so there is already some economic impact from this. How worried are you about that element of this? And is that beginning to filter into conversations with your colleagues in the council about the city budget and whether this is going to change the landscape on which next year's budget is built? Well, nothing's more important than the health concerns, but I am extremely worried about the economic impact on New York City. Targeted in immigrant neighborhoods like Chinatown, where business in many restaurants is down 60% or more, now for weeks on end, some of those businesses are in danger of closing. We have all manner of products um, that have had their supply lines disrupted, disrupted that uh, might source in China, and, and that's hurt, hurt retail sales. In New York City, there's been some good reporting on that. Um, every possible industry related to travel and tourism is down dramatically, and that's a sector that drives New York City's economy. Um, if people simply don't leave their homes as much, they're going to spend less money. But I tell you, as, as a long-term concern, um, no, that doesn't keep me up at night. This would be a, a one-time hit that I, I believe we would recover from. Uh, as soon as the health crisis receded, because fundamentally uh, the city has continued to grow economically, employment at, at a peak, tourism's at a peak, um, and many other measures are really strong. Uh, so Dude. I think it's a cause for short, short-term short concern by the people who are impacted, but I don't think this uh, is, is, is cause to, wor- to worry that the city's economy will not be knocked off course for years to come. Do either of you uh, have, have a thought about uh, the approach to the airports? Obviously, two major hubs um, in Queens. Uh, should any different bar be set in terms of uh, use of the airports, flights going in and out, testing uh, screenings at the airport? Is there anything um, that either of you, you know, think uh, should be done differently than is perhaps being done now or, or that would be informative um, from previous uh, outbreaks? You know, the CDC has a good travel alert section. And one thing that I read uh, just recently that does have me a little concerned is that people can be infected but not having any symptoms, including probably fever. So this fever screening at airports or any transit areas may not be the you know a way to really screen people out. Um, so uh, that does raise a little red flag for me about what what we can do. I think for now we just follow the CDC guidance. Uh, some places, as you know, are canceling their their conferences. They don't want people flying, but. I've actually heard that airline, uh, the uh, ventilation on in, inside airplanes is quite good and is, is cleaned, um, is filtered. And so um, I, I, I would not hesitate to go on a plane right now. I do have a trip that has now been canceled because it was out of the country. But uh, right now, that and the trains, buses, 
cabs, it doesn't worry me at all right now. And just quickly for you, Councilmember Levine, last one for me, and then I think Jared has one more. You mentioned that tomorrow's hearing would most likely be about getting information out, uh, dispelling some myths. Do you have any concerns, though, about, um, you know, is there anything in particular that you are, you know, really want to do, a, you know, a sort of stress test on with the city's response? I mean, um, you know, one of the things seems to be uh, the flow of communication around downplaying people who call with symptoms. You know, is there any concern that because the test, the testing hasn't ramped up yet that that too many people are, are downplaying whether people need to get tested? Uh, you mean that doctors are downplaying? Who well, anybody from anybody from three one one to to yeah to even the health department's protocols uh, not speeding up quickly enough because the capacity is not there yet. Uh, you know, encouraging people to maybe give it you know give it more time at home. Right. Or sure. Well, look the the question of of criteria for determining who is tested is certainly going to be one of the questions that we'll be focusing on. Question of resource. Adequacy, whether it's masks, ventilators, other products and equipment, uh, hospital beds, um, question of contingency plans. Uh, if this escalates, um, we talked about schools, but transit uh, and, and virtually every aspect of public life here, uh, we, we we need to ask what happens if if uh, the worst case scenario uh, is realized. Uh, so there, there's a lot that we want the public to know, a lot that we want to know as as policymakers, and I, I think it's going to be an important discussion, a sober discussion. I think probably different from most council hearings that, that you and your listeners may may have witnessed. Uh, this is um, going to be a very serious, focused hearing on getting the right information to the New Yorkers in the midst of. Of a really concerning crisis. Finally, a last question for Dr. Gershon. You know, we had SARS in 2003, uh, the swine flu epidemic in 2009, MERS a couple years after that, and now we have this coronavirus. And people have talked about this being uh, more and more of a threat because of globalization, because of climate change, uh, you know, antibiotic resistant bugs, you name it. There is a greater risk of these um, kind of mass uh, viruses and, and pandemics um, as years go by. Do you think that's the case? And what implications does that have for a public health system? Are we going to get really, really good at handling this stuff? Or are we going to get strained by having to deal with um, one virus to the next every couple of years? I think we will have more. That's inevitable. This is this is our reality now. But we are definitely getting better. Uh, maybe we missed a few beats at the very highest level of government on this one. I'm not quite sure why. It doesn't really matter at this point. We're catching ourselves up pretty good. But uh, I think we're getting better, and I think people and, and the councilman's comments underscore that, too, because he's saying we're going to meet and think about, you know, hospitals and supplies and uh, supply chain. We are getting better at contingency planning and figuring out who is going to be the conductor of a train if, you know, we have a lot of people out sick. So we we are doing that kind of planning, and more and more with each of these terrible outbreaks, we're getting better. And so we, we can ramp up very quickly, especially in a city like this with a lot of resources, 
And so I think we will stay on top of it. Eventually, maybe we'll get really great at making vaccines really quickly. That's certainly a possibility down the line. But I, I think that uh, I think we're getting better. Well, we will leave it there on a, a fairly positive and hopeful note. Dr. Robin Gershon of the School of Global Public Health at NYU and City Council Member Mark Levine, Chair of the Council's Committee on Health. Thank you both for joining us and folks who are interested. It's at 1 p.m. tomorrow, Council Member. That's right, in the main city council chamber. Hearing at 1 p.m. in the uh, city council uh, chamber at City Hall tomorrow. If you can't go there, you can live stream it, or you can, of course, check for news coverage afterward. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So, Jared, uh, do you feel reassured? Do you feel uh, less so? Do you have outstanding questions that our um, government and public health experts were not able to answer? I feel uh, I do not feel any larger sense of panic. I do feel as though, especially uh, based on what both our guests uh, discussed, that the response to this point has been, I think, fairly appropriate and calibrated to the the nature of the risk. I mean, I was a little worried that perhaps we were overdoing it. I always wonder that when it comes to to, to health uh, crises, if there's a sudden kind of rush to to throw up alarms and and barriers, but I think that um, this clearly is a, a major risk, and the city is taking it seems like a a fairly logical approach to to dealing with it. So you know, it's interesting. I don't ever want to be alarmist, and typically I'm I'm not. Um, but sort of watching the news out of China, out of Italy, uh, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit concerned and I'm a little bit unsure about how New York should and, and the United States should approach this as we see it start to clearly spread in the U.S. And obviously we knew there was going to be some spread. But, um, you know, Dr. Gershon said something about a magic number being 100 cases, because then that means if it's a 2.2 cases resulting from each case, that's over 200 and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I do wonder what those magic numbers are for city health officials, state health officials for, you know, taking more serious measures and whether those measures should be taken sooner than later to try to really nip it in the bud. I understand you don't want to totally alter the way the city is doing business and people are living their lives and there's a lot of problems with closing down schools, for example. I think that's maybe my optimism is based on uh, an inherent inherent fatalism. (laughs) No, I I think that the idea that in a city like New York, can you really constructively remove the the congregal reality we live in you know if if we shut down the schools you know obviously kids will spend much of the day in their apartments and houses but they will continue to congregate they'll do so without a school nurse on hand and notice people getting sick i mean so i think what i I guess the the solace i feel is that while those steps might be necessary at some point because they are not a panacea and they introduce their own kind of unique problems and offsetting threats uh that it's probably just as well that we haven't opened that door yet but as uh, Dr. Gershon indicated, the numbers could change rapidly based on how these things um, grow exponentially, and we could be in a very si- different situation tomorrow. Well, again, you know, we also, like I've said a couple times, I, I, I still think we don't. There's certain things we don't know, and she got at this as well as well about exactly how it uh, moves and and you know how how people you know whether it's it lives on surfaces airborne etc you know and what proximity and things like that i think we really need to learn a lot more uh and we will in the coming in the coming days and weeks um but that's going to be you know as 
they have uh, these quote unquote disease detectives working for the city that that really try to dig in on who people co- who who have contracted it come into contact with where they travel they follow them around they try to warn people they try to check in on people who may have been exposed we're getting so much more information as they do that work that'll be essential to making you know more decisions well, we will track this story and obviously many others here on Max and Murphy every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Uh, between our shows, we hope you'll follow our work at GothamGazette.com and CityLimits.org. Tweet Ben Max and Jarrett Murphy at Twitter. Stay tuned to WBAI. They have an evening of great programming. Tune in tomorrow to our good friend Jeff Simmons and Driving Forces. He'll have on City Council Member Justin Brannon, who uh, is one of the leaders of the City Council's resiliency efforts, among other topics. Uh, we hope that you'll join us again. Again, next week, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Until then, have a great week in the greatest city in the world.